A host of digital startups have gotten a lot of attention in recent years for using technology to improve investing and democratize finance. Robo-advisors are one good example. And then there's companies like Robinhood, which have targeted younger investors with commission-free stock trades. That's a compelling offer. But sometimes the offers are a little too compelling. Last week, Robinhood announced it was offering a new checking and savings account with 3% interest. That's way higher than anything offered by banks. But there was a significant catch. I'm Alex Yule. This week on The Readback, I'm joined by Barron's reporter, Ben Walsh, who covered Robinhood's checking launch last week. Hey, Ben. Hi, Alex. When you first heard about Robinhood's 3% savings account last week, what went through your head? The first thing I thought was that's a great rate. <laughs> right. That's, I mean, 3% is fantastic. Well, I, what's the going rate these days? Most checking accounts are barely yielding half a percent, and the ones that are really out there pushing the envelope are around 2%. So 3% is a great headline number. There are a small amount of people who are really dedicated to chasing interest rates in their savings accounts. But for most people, they just keep it parked. And so why wouldn't a bank just keep the rate for a savings account at 0.2% even as rates are rising? If the money isn't moving, there's no reason for them to offer a higher rate. And that's where you see a Robinhood come into the equation and say, hey, we can throw out this offer and maybe pull at least some people over. Yeah. And I think that you know 3% is a number that just jumps out at you. We got some extremely exciting news that came out of the Robinhood app today. It makes a great headline. The trading startup will now offer both a checking and a savings account option with 3% interest. And I think for a lot of Robinhood's current customers and you know potential customers, they would see that and say, hey. I actually signed up for it already. And if you want to sign up for it, definitely click my link in the description. This is something I should be doing. What they really played on, I think, in the initial rollout was everyone's association of the phrase checking and savings account with FDIC insurance. And as a purely cynical customer acquisition strategy, it was very savvy because, you know, tons of financial news outlets and other mainstream media outlets wrote this up uncritically before the serious questions started to be asked. But what did our reporting show? So I and another Barron's reporter, Avi Saltzman, started digging into this. And what we found is that there were real questions and real issues with how this money was being protected. When ordinary people hear the phrase checkings and savings accounts, they immediately assume, I think it's fair to say, that those are FDIC-insured accounts. Meaning money protected by the government. Correct. And that's not the case that was happening here. We talked to the CEO. It turns out what was going on here was that the funds would be protected by CIPIC, the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. And that is very different than FDIC insurance. And what's the difference? The SIPC is a member association of brokerage firms. And what it does is it has a fund that it maintains to protect investor funds and cash up to $250,000 in the case that the brokerage firm fails. And we talked to the head of the SIPC, Stephen Harbeck, and he said, listen, the way that Robinhood is marketing this, this is not a product that we protect. What this is, is a loan to Robinhood. And that is a deposit, right? When you deposit money to a bank, you are effectively giving them a very low interest loan. And so that's what Robinhood was doing in this case. And their marketing was fairly clear initially that this wasn't about investing. This was about using ATMs. This was about you know paying bills, accessing cash on a regular basis. So that's not what the SIPC covers. And not to toot our own horn, but 
Harbeck actually learned of this situation with Robinhood, I believe, for the first time from us, Barons. Yes, that's one of the strange wrinkles in this story is that Robinhood did not, Harbeck told us, talk to the SIPC before launching this product. And so when we reached out to Harbeck in writing and reporting our story, it was the, basically the first he'd learned of it. And so you have a situation where an industry group that you know manages this protection for brokerage firms is learning about a product that one of its members is rolling out from reporters. It's, it's quite wild. And the system worked here. Our role as watchdogs worked here. By Friday night, 48 hours after this thing was launched, Robinhood had already pulled back on the product, right? Yeah, exactly. So they had they basically scrubbed any mention of the phrase checking and savings from their website, and they removed and they replaced it with something called cash management, which, you know, a point that, that I made in a story that I wrote about it is if if Robinhood had done this product launch and just called what they were doing a cash yield account, everything would have been fine. That's what brokers do all the time. The problem is it doesn't generate as much publicity for the brokerage. Not quite as sexy as a 3% checking and savings account. Definitely not. Before we move on, can you just explain who Robinhood is and what their mission has been? So coming out of the financial crisis, one of the big narratives was an assumption that young people were not interested in investing and specifically not interested in trading individual stocks. And there are macroeconomic reasons for that. Student loans, lack of employment opportunities, so they just don't have the disposable cash to save and invest, but also the experience of seeing the market crater, seeing their parents oftentimes put in really tough situations with their own investment accounts. And Robinhood basically said, no, we think that if we get out there... Robinhood lets you trade stocks with zero commission. That's right, commission-free. until now. And create a mobile app. Streaming to your phone when you need to know what you need to know to make an informed trade decision. Even notifications when important stuff happens. And get viral marketing, essentially, in front of young people that they will start investing in companies. And particularly, they'll start investing in companies that they care about from a consumer perspective. So people are excited about what Facebook is doing. People are excited about what Twitter is doing. Tesla, they want to buy the car. Maybe they can't afford the car, so they'll just buy a couple of shares of the stock. Right. Or maybe you cannot even buy a Tesla because the wait list is what it is. So you become sort of a fan. And what they really capitalized on, I think, was this sort of emerging fanboy culture around securities. So Tesla is one great example where there's just a cult following around the stock and around Elon Musk in particular. And also, early this year in February, Robinhood announced that they would start allowing you to trade crypto. Obviously, there's huge interest in that in kind of a similar way, which is that people just believe in the idea and want to express that belief the way that you express beliefs in markets, which is by buying and selling. So they've started to make investing, trading exciting again to some degree. Yeah. Some listeners might be wondering, okay, Robinhood, I've never heard of it, or it's this little thing out there. Why are we devoting a podcast to this? Why did you guys devote so much reporting to this? And I think there are a couple interesting points there. Robinhood has raised significant money. They're one of these unicorns. They're valued at about $5 billion. I think they have $540 million in actual funds that they've raised. 
why should we care about what happened with this particular story and, and Robin Hood and this 3% rate that wasn't really meant to be? Sure. Well, I think that the first obvious one is what you said is, you know, they've, they're worth more than $5 billion. You know, that puts them in the upper tier of valuation of private companies. They're looking to go public in all likelihood. The other one, though, is that it's a little bit of a parable about innovation and fintech companies and what happens when they really try to push the boundaries of what regulators and what their industry will allow. It's not uncommon for highly valued tech companies to go beyond what regulation clearly stipulates and think that regulators will then move to accommodate them rather than shut them down. Break things, apologize later. That Break things, apologize later. I mean, you know, Uber, when it launched, is fairly explicitly not allowed under local taxi regulations anywhere, right? And yet it's worth $70 billion. Right. And, and regulators have effectively accommodated them. And what Uber did was it showed that there was a gap in what regulators were allowing to exist and the market demand for taxis effectively. This is a trickier situation. I think that effectively Robinhood was trying to pull that same move right. to offer something that they called checkings and savings that wasn't what ordinary people would refer to as a checkings and savings account and that they could get away with it. You know, they've changed the name of the account, which is a significant pullback. But I think the big question is what does the SEC, who has authority over them, do now? You know, they've gotten more than 700,000 people to sign up for this account and be put on a waiting list. How many of those people signed up when it, they thought it was checking ins and savings? And is that a way that you can allow a brokerage firm to acquire customers with what's effectively the financial equivalent of clickbait? Does Robinhood get to keep those signups? Are those people made aware of precisely what happened here? They might have seen the initial story that was extremely positive about Robinhood, decided, yeah, that sounds great. I'm signing up. And they haven't even checked the news since. They don't even know that what they were told initially was not what was going on. So that's a big question, right? And then another one, though, is that for a lot of people, these sorts of botched rollouts of products is one of the main ways that they experience what the behavior of finance companies is like. You know, they might not be following the investor day of J.P. Morgan closely. They probably aren't. Most people aren't. And, and we shouldn't expect that they're going to. But a lot of young people got an alert on their phone that said, this company whose app you have installed is now offering checkings and savings accounts. And it's not true. And so the question is, how do regulators deal with that because the SEC exists to create confidence and stability in the markets, and you have Robinhood, who's effectively undermining that confidence to its investors and sending mixed messages directly to their notifications on their cell phone. Yeah, and I'm sure you're going to be following up on this. I know you and Avi are going to be looking at this story and, and the ramifications for Robinhood and the entire industry and for startups. Yep, absolutely. All right, Ben, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Alex. You can read Ben Walsh's and Avi Saltzman's stories on Robinhood at barons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Lutzoff. The Readback will return next Wednesday.